This is episode 38 of Trash Talking with Eco Warriors featuring Tara Deport of the Human Impacts Institute. You're tuning in to Trash Talking with Eco Warriors, where women share inspiring stories about their careers in green business, sustainability, and conservation. Here's your host and founder of Trashy Beauty, Barbara Lee. Tara Deport is a self-proclaimed expert generalist. She describes her typical work week as waiting in the Hudson one day to wearing a suit and talking policy over at the UN. In 2011, Tara started the Human Impacts Institute as a way to help create conversation around conservation and make it fun and exciting. So she integrates different artists, different types of events from tree planting to beautifications and art exhibits, even creating something known as The Hub, which is the Human Impacts Institute's membership program. You should definitely check it out if you're interested in supporting an amazing institution that is working to make the conversation around climate change actually something that people want to talk about. One of the cool things that they do is they create this thing called the Climate Awards, and they give awards and a space for artists who have created amazing installations to discuss climate change. You should check out this funny video. I'm going to link it in the show notes. It's called Think Like a Kid, and it kind of just shows how much of a no-brainer dealing with climate change and these types of conservation issues should be. This episode is hilarious, not only because Tara has an amazing sense of humor, but also because her newborn joined us for this interview, probably the youngest person we've had as a guest on the show, and I hope that you enjoy how crazy and quirky Tara is. Also, listen to the very end because Tara tells hands down the funniest story about nature or sustainability that we have had on the show yet. Let's get trash talking. Thanks for joining us on the podcast today. <laughs> You're welcome. It's great to be here. <laughs> and it sounds like you have an extra guest for us today. I do. Our daughter, our five-month-old, is um, not supposed to be awake, but she really cares about climate change, so she wanted to be a part of the conversation. <laughs> That's fantastic. We're happy to have both you and your little one on the show. Awesome. So tell us a little bit about you and how would you introduce yourself to someone if you're meeting for the first time? I mean, my name is Tara Laporte, and uh, I change that story depending on the context because I feel like I've I've always been a person that wears many different hats or um, am an expert generalist. Uh, it really depends on the room. But in terms of the overview umbrella, I would say I'm the founder and executive director of the Human Impacts Institute. And um, what we do as an organization is really to use the arts and culture to get people really excited about environmental issues, and particularly through positivity and creativity and um, making solutions just really exciting, personal. You know, the work that we're doing really combines a lot of my personal background of working in the environmental field and having a background, an academic background, very much in the science and policy arena um, and a lot of experience in that as well as education, but also being a visual artist my whole life. So I've always lived those different worlds, but it wasn't until I started the Human Impacts Institute where 
we really started experimenting with bringing those worlds together, the, the kind of creative worlds and the policy or science wonky world. Yeah, so tell me a little bit about what sparked that for you. Like, how did you finally get to this point where you wanted to start this movement and this project? Well, like I said, I've, I've kind of been an expert generalist for a a long time, and what I mean by that is that you know I'm not a specialist, and I never have been. I've had a very interdisciplinary academic background, and even the work I've done, you know, has been everything from developing and running education programs for a you know community-based nonprofit here in New York City to um, helping develop international policy at the UN. Wow. Yeah, it's like very, you know, I would, I used to tell people it's like my week might be one day I'm in the East River with like kids like singing for fish and the next day I'm in a suit like in a international negotiation. Incredible. From, yeah, I love it and I love the diversity. I think my interdisciplinary background has enabled me to be surrounded by a lot of experts from a lot of different fields that are approaching issues like climate change from the scientific way, from the education educator way and everything. And after being involved in those many different worlds, um, I noticed a few things. And um, one of them that was that there was a real communication problem I would say, or um, there were barriers um, between the different disciplines um, and even between, you know, the scientists and just the general public or um, kids or older people, um, but certainly also between the specialists. They, in many cases, were quite literally speaking different languages, <laughs> you know, in terms of acronyms <laughs> and words and, you know, and they could geek out all together in a room, but if it was to communicate to someone else, it was really hard to get across their message. So that was one thing I noticed. And another was that really noticing a lot of burnout. Yeah. You know, these are these are tough issues. Climate change is this, like, you know, when you look at people that study climate communications, they really say it's like the perfect storm of difficult things to communicate. So that makes it you know, it's hard. It's hard. And, you know, a lot of times if you're really doing this work, there's often, you know, a tiptoe forward and then a giant leap backwards. So bringing together that communication barrier that I was seeing and also just the burnout and, you know, not only the people that are passionate and devoting their life to us getting burned out or just uninspired. Sure. Um, right. and not doing their work as well, but also the audience of being like, ugh, find it, ugh, do we have oh, to talk no. about that, <laughs> you know? Like, really, at the dinner oh, party. Gosh. So the idea with the Human Impact Institute was to really work on that. It's like, how do we bring these people together in rooms to learn to talk to each other? And then how mm-hmm. do we just, like, infuse a lot of inspiration into it? You know, because you can make really boring and complicated stuff amazing, if it's beautiful or intriguing, that was the spark. And as you can tell, I'm also long-winded. <laughs> I don't have short answers. <laughs> I don't like short answers anyway. So. Okay, good. Good. You can edit out. You can edit out as much as you want. <laughs> no, that's fantastic. And I, I, I think that's so interesting what you're saying about burnout. I think I felt it, and I didn't really categorize it that way. You're having to have the same conversations over and over again with people who don't seem to get it. Yeah, I mean, there are a million ways to be burned out or that, you know, everyone's overextended and 
you know, has much smaller budgets than they probably need or, you know, there are a myriad of ways. I think it's actually really beneficial to acknowledge that because a lot of times in, you know, people that are committed to social change, there is, there can be some stoicism in it of like, you're in it for the fight, for the struggle, but it's theory of mine, which I, I prescribe to is I'm in it for the long haul and I need to be able to sustain that. And if I break down on an individual level, I'm not going to do my job well. I'm not going to, I'm not going to, you know, be creating good projects or doing the research or having, you know, my heart in it. A good thing to acknowledge and to talk about. Yeah, and so how do you kind of keep yourself inspired and stay connected and stay, I guess, like, interested in what you're talking about and what you're working on? Some of that is acknowledging my personal weaknesses and surrounding myself with people that have those strengths, strengths that are opposite to my weaknesses. Like, I am a creator. I love creating, you know, whether it's from you know, a painting or an event or a creating a conversation. I don't love to maintain, um, and we need both. And so, you know, really recognizing and kind of looking at a bigger picture. And again, you know, both the short-term goals and the long-term goals. Well, and that's a big thing of, like, working with creative people, you know, whether it's designers to architects, to performance artists, and things like that. Like, this combination of bringing those, like, amazing creative minds and tools together with the experts in the solutions, the people that are out there just, like, doing an awesome job at, at green job creation with, you know, formerly incarcerated people. And just, like, those personal stories um, really inspire me. And I use myself as a guinea pig a lot of times of, you know, if I'm not inspired by it and I'm supposedly, you know, when you think of the idea of preaching to the choir, like I'm one of the choir heads, you know, that, um, if I'm not sure. into it, then gosh, you know, the general person walking down the street isn't going to be interested in it. Doing that and then inviting in new voices, I think that is just like really important that we're not just hearing the same voices over and over and not just the microphone to the same voices um, because that that is inspiring when you see someone looking at these issues in a new way um, that gets me really inspired those you know so that's two parts of that are the the personal stories um, are really inspiring which is why we share them a lot you know when I get that one note from someone who interned with us six years ago that says, oh, my God, I, that just inspired me, and now I'm, you know, doing X, Y, and Z amazing thing. You know, those out-of-the-blue thank yous are, are mm-hmm. amazing. That's so great. So let's go back a little bit. How did you first get interested in sustainability and the environment? <laughs> yeah, Um that is a question I do not know the answer to. I think that was I was just born an environmentalist and an artist. Like I I started writing my senator in fourth grade about saving the planet. I had I started um like doing stream cleanups with my friends and like getting my friends, you know, and then at the same time was like doing coloring contests and and then like, hey, you wanna come over and make make like signs to go picket the oil tank farm down the road, you know, just like, <laughs> it, 
like to come over, you know, this is an elementary school kid where I'm like, there was no organized rally or anything. I was just like, there's an oil tank farm in our backyard and that sucks. So let's, let's make signs and, you know, come play at my house and go, we'll go do a rally. You know, <laughs> like, um, and the people join you? Yeah, totally. I mean, you know, I tell people, like, you know, one thing I think I'm really good at is getting people to play with me. <laughs> um, I feel like that hasn't changed since I was a kid. Um, you must be doing something right. Like, if people are like, yeah, totally. I totally want to come over and make signs and pick a oil field. I know, right? I guess so. I mean, and a lot of days it's hard to think that, uh, you know, we're doing anything right because, you know, you see a lot of no's and a lot of setbacks. But, yeah, I I do think that we are doing something right because people do show up. And it's the right people that are coming. And when I say the right people, it's not like a certain demographic uh, per se, but just the people that, I, I like to say, you know, they're both ready to be engaged and to take action in whatever way, you know, action is the right fit for them. And I think that's really important to us. It's about I'm not going to try to make you into me. I need to find out who you are and let's use your strengths and your tools for climate change, whatever those are. Those people that come to us and ones that I like to say have a creative superpower somewhere hidden in there, um, you know, that you just might not know about. <laughs> That's just somewhere in there. Yeah. Yeah. That's amazing. What do your parents do? I'm just curious. <laughs> yeah, I know. Um, well, they're both retired now, but my mom, uh, actually, both of my parents were entrepreneurs, really. Um, my mom started a construction company, like home renovations in the D.C. area and an aerobics business, um, which was super wow. cool. A lot a lot of uh, great leg warmers in the late 80s and early 90s. And um, <laughs> my, my dad was in sales, like in te- technical sales. And then neither of them, I don't think e- either of them have ever been in a rally at all. I don't even remember if, but they've always, they were always supportive. And, and honestly, I would say I'm definitely an activist, but not with a capital A. Like, you know, I'm, I'm not on the picket lines all the time. I, I was, mm-hmm. when I was, when I was in fourth grade, but, um, but yeah, neither of my parents, you know, particularly environmental, but, I did go uh, camping a lot with my dad, and um, uh-huh. and they were just always supportive of what I wanted, whatever I wanted to do. Yeah. Did you ever have like a really special or inspiring moment, like out in nature? Yes, I I was already like deep in it, as it were. I, I was like, you know, Earth Day on the DC Mall every year. Very excited. At the age of 12, um, my dad actually took me um, backpacking in Alaska for two weeks. Wow. And that just was like, you know, to this day, I haven't been back, but I really want to. I've, I've daydreamed about bringing him, uh, you know, taking him on a trip to Alaska and doing that. I had never seen just like nature on that level of nature um, and that, you know, and it's just ridiculously stunning, um, 
and was just like a crazy adventure of like hitchhiking <laughs> through the like you know wilderness of Alaska and ending up. Oh my like, gosh! Yeah, I mean, my mom was like very happy that she didn't know about any of this stuff <laughs> going on <laughs> until afterwards. But we were fine. You know, it was just yeah. It 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 really it reinforced just just my awe for nature and just my respect for that this is our you know this is the planet that we're on and um you know we need we need it and it needs us um to care for it so wow you hitchhiked through Alaska when you were twelve. <laughs> yeah, I know, right? Not by myself. <laughs> under, under no, the, I like. I know, right? It's, it is pretty unique, right? I guess it is. <laughs> oh no, that's freaking fantastic! Yeah, I definitely want to go back. How how do you find out about some of the things that you've learned about? Like, did did you research? Did you read some books? Was it like a movie that you watched? Like, how did you find out more information about what was going on in the world? I started the, you know, formal education into these issues at a, a young age. I actually ended up going to a science and tech magnet high school that's like a pretty crazy high school in Northern Virginia called Thomas Jefferson. For instance, I was doing DNA biotechnology during high school like gel oh electrophoresis, which I don't even know what it is anymore. That's amazing. <laughs> I love doing those things. Yeah, it was super cool. I wouldn't want to do it again, but, I, like, I loved it then. And so, and then in college, I um, uh, I went to the University of Virginia for undergrad, and I, I thought I wanted to be a marine biologist, but I, I realized once I got there that I really wanted to understand the whole systems, when, you know, the environmental systems, how they work together. So I started doing environmental uh-huh. studies. Then I realized, you know, looking at those systems, that if I didn't understand the human impact on them and how society is interacting with those systems or not interact well with those systems, then I couldn't truly understand them. So I added anthropology. I ended up getting able, being able to make my own major. Um, and then I did grad school. I did climate science and policy at Columbia. So I have a lot of formal education in this stuff. And then beyond that, yeah, a lot of you know, reading books and, you know, I did some fellowships, some teaching. I mean, I taught at, at the at university level quite a bit. Um, and then it may be cliche, but it's so true that it's like you learn the most by teaching. So... Um, that's always exciting. That's amazing. That's so incredible, like, the way that you trace that through your thinking about how the whole system works. I think so. <laughs> I mean, it, it, that's why I said, like, you know, the expert generalist keeps coming back in this conversation, but we need so many specialists, but we also need the, need people that, that really understand, like, connections between, you know, these different quote-unquote worlds and that's what really appeals to me but that's what has always appealed to me so let's talk a little bit more about what the human impact institute does sure so yeah we experiment with a lot of different ways of how to really engage people in environmental solutions um and in kind of we're we're working on the second phase of our organization we're seven years old and they're 
kind of leaving startup phase and have have really experimented with a lot of stuff and feel like we know who we are now. And who we are is, is this home for really bringing together the art um, and the environment and really using this idea of communicating through culture as a way to just get you to just be so excited about climate solution. I, you know, I say one of one of my goals, my life goals, is to get you as excited about pick any solution, whether it's solar panels or anything, as excited about that as like the next Game of Thrones episode, <laughs> <laughs> where you just like, I can't wait, I'm gonna invite my friends over. Oh my god. So yeah, as an organization, like. You know, more specifically, how we do that is we create a lot of events where we bring together, um, you know, people that often are working on the same issue in the same community, but probably aren't working together, you know, for whatever reason. So to get them to talk to, to each other and to talk to each other in front of a diverse audience so that we're kind of exploring this together and learning from each other. I think creating open and inspirational spaces is a really important thing, you know, to allow our communities to share the knowledge that they have, to do a lot of exhibits and a lot of, like, things like podcasts and um, installations and exhibits where we actually are communicating, often sharing the stories of these great people that are doing the great work on the ground, making what is sometimes invisible visible. Um, in a lot of different ways. And then we have work- workshops as well where we kind of, you know, try to, again, you know, I think so much of it is just like wrapped around storytelling and the idea of how many different ways can you tell a story so that it's heard by as many people as possible. That's so cool. And I know that you guys have like these cool like art inspirational pieces that you guys are sharing and like did kind of like a, I guess it was like a little bit of like a contest or something? Yeah, we have um, one of our you know, big programs is called the Creative Climate Awards and it's every year. And it's really funny because how the Creative Climate Awards happened is it was one of our earlier programs and I really threw it in as a little bit of a pet, like I would really love to do this kind of project that I didn't think would really get any traction. Um, the first year we did it, uh, which was our, you know, first year as an organization, I just called a few friends, you know, artist friends from around New York, and I said, hey, you want to try to, like, create some performance and about climate change and perform it somewhere in New York City in the public? <laughs> and, and they all said yes. So it started like that with, like, five friends and doing, like, weird, like, performances, just pop-up performances in really big public spaces like Square and stuff like that. And then, you know, this past year, uh, it's the fourth year that the Taiwanese government has hosted us um, and their embassy equivalent on 42nd Street. They give us three floors of their embassy, um, including storefront. Um, we have had applicants from all over the world, from every continent, including work done on Antarctica. You know, this year we had like 26 artists from around the world. We have a $2,000 first place prize and a free trip to Taiwan. It's amazing. What? Like, it, it's really shown that, and this year we had performances and talks and interactive tours. And honestly, we did this pretty much with no budget. Um, because we just believe it needs to happen and that kind of field of dreams way, if you build it, funding will come, <laughs> type thing. And 
it's just really a testament to to how people are very thirsty for this type of program. I always thought that if I wore my artist hat in the political spaces um, or the policy spaces or the science spaces, then I wouldn't be considered legitimate. So I had to put on my science cap, speak like a policymaker. We found exactly the opposite, that everyone is like, oh, my God, give me something other than like a white paper or a speech that someone's given eight times or, you know, oh, yes, let's hear what kids have to say. Let's see that dance piece about ice core data. You know, it's been a really eye opening experience to see how our organizations evolved in that way. And it's really cool and fun, too, which is really nice. That's so fantastic. What about, like, on a day-to-day basis? Like, what are things that you think that people can do to just be more eco-conscious? And what, what changes can people make in their lives immediately? Well, I think the easiest one is save money and buy less. I think if we, most of us, um, you know, I don't know who your listeners are, and I don't want to make assumptions about privilege, but there is a certain privilege probably if you're ending up listening to a podcast and probably a certain level of engagement if you end up listening to one of these conversations of really, again, that, that personal assessment of, you know, is it a need or a want? Um, and And I think even linguistically, using those words accordingly, like we we learned in kindergarten what our basic needs are, you know, food, air, water, and shelter. Okay, so once once those are taken care of, and I think dignity is a really important one to add to that, once those are yeah. taken care of, the rest is a want. So we have a lot of power in choosing what we want, um, and we also have a lot of power in the systems that we live within of voting with our dollars. You know, and every time we purchase something, we're, we are supporting how that was produced, the waste that comes from it, you know, who made it, all of those things. You know, the easiest thing, because it is hard to be a, you know, informed consumer, it's hard to get and, and can be exhausting, is less, you know, thinking about that need versus want. I guess this is, this is always my fun question. Um, what's the craziest yeah. thing that you've done uh, in the name of nature to save the lady? Yeah, like something that's just like kind of like outlandish and like it's supposed to just be like a fun question. Like what's, what's yeah, no, I love it. It's just like I'm trying to think for one of the Creative Climate Awards, one of the early ones of doing a piece in Times Square where I offered free climate counseling to to basically play with the <laughs> idea of like yeah, this is like this is horrible stuff and it's really depressing and overwhelming and you don't feel like you're you know can do anything and. I um and you know playing along this idea of if you make it intriguing and inspiring people are more interested you know even if they don't know your message they're they're pulled in and I put on roller skates and a red tutu and was kind of like a old old like cigarette girl kind of thing um and I had a box and said free climate counseling here and uh, roller skated around Times Square and offered that to people. Prescription pad where I'd write a prescription for them on what they could do. Oh, my gosh. Um, and I think my, I mean, and tons of people took pictures and were like, oh, my God, this is hysterical. And, I'm, you know, I'm like six foot five woman on roller skates basically with in a tutu. I think my biggest win for the day was when I heard 
a kid that had an accent that was not from New York, but was from somewhere in the U.S. say, Mom, what's climate change? And I was like, oh, oh man, I just started that conversation. <laughs> what is she going to say? Is that crazy enough for you? <laughs> yeah, I think that's the, that's the best one I've gotten yet. Nice. No, that's fantastic. I hope that that is the picture that you send me to post for this podcast. <laughs> I'll have to find it. Oh, my goodness. Oh, that's fantastic. Well, thank you so much for the time and for chatting with us, even with your little one. Yeah, I'm so glad I worked out. She is still happily here and awake way past her bedtime. Um, it's been lovely chatting with you, and I'm excited to find ways of how we'll collaborate in the future. meet amazing women like Tara, Malika, Sabine, and some of the other people that we've had on our podcast, well, they are going to be at our sustainable fashion event on July 31st. Join us and admire beautiful people wearing eco-friendly clothing from Malika, New York, Ade, and Taz the Taylor. We'll be having everything from Sauvignon Blanc that helps with oyster restoration to cocktails mixed with juice from ugly fruits and vegetables. Tickets are on sale now, and today is one of the last days that you can take advantage of our early bird friends and followers discount. Visit the Eventbrite page. I'll link it in the show notes, and or head over to our Facebook page, Trashy Beauty Co., and use the code TRASHY5. Even if you're not into fashion, just come for the drinks and the chance to enjoy Kickstarter's green rooftop. They're over in Greenpoint, and it's an amazing location. It's like a little oasis in the city. Huge thanks to our partners, Jody Taylor for co-hosting, Toast Ale, Proud Pour, Misfit Juicery, Tito's Vodka, Tea Pigs, Gotham Greens, and Food for All. We can't wait to see you guys there in two weeks. Until then, eco-warriors, stay cool and stay green. Thanks for talking dirty with us. Tune in next week for more Trash Talking with Eco-Warriors. For more inspiration, follow us on Instagram at Trashy Beauty Co.